Welcome to Thrive, your agency resource, the only podcast for creative, media, and technology leaders who are ready to dive deeper into conscious leadership and agency growth. I'm your host, Kelly Campbell. Thrive is brought to you by Accessibility, the leading web accessibility solutions provider. Join thousands of agencies that are already incorporating web inclusivity into their service offerings. Visit accessibility.com today. So welcome back to Thrive. Last time I was talking with Melanie Chandruang about the future of agency operations. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dory Clark, renowned consultant, keynote speaker, and best-selling author of now four books. The newest one being The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. Hope you can see that if you're watching. Dory is also represented by Consciousness Leaders, and I'm really excited to have her in that collective. She was actually named one of the top 50 thinkers in the world, and you're about to find out why. So Dory, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm really, really grateful to spend some time with you. Hey, Kelly. Thank you. Great to be here. So... I love this book. I hope everybody who's listening or watching goes out and grabs a copy. Early on in the book, you talk about this concept of white space. And obviously in the creative realm, we all understand the importance of white space. But in this context, you're talking about saying yes to everything means being average at everything, which I think is a you know really insightful way to think about that. And I think what I'm hearing in the book is that you're suggesting that a lot of people just don't have a checklist or a filter by which they gauge what to say yes to, what to say no to. So can, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and then maybe the correlation with our uh, perpetual calendar cramming that we all suffer from. Yeah, absolutely. So part of what inspired this line of thinking was actually a book I read about a decade ago by Francis Fry and Ann Morris uh, called Uncommon Service. And it it was really interesting. It was a book about service industry businesses. So everything from airlines to banks. And they were really trying to explore the question of why is it that most businesses are just so meh? You know, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty rare that there's anybody that's like, oh, I'm so excited about my airline. Let me tell you about them, right? <laughs> like that just doesn't really happen. And so, you know, why is it that despite, you know, clearly every business would love to be exemplary, they would love to have, you know, viral chatter about them, sure. but it just doesn't really happen. And what they realized at a very fundamental level is that companies and I will argue this is true for individuals as well, but in this case, companies are just so reluctant to make choices, to make strategic choices that they they just they try to do everything. It does not work out well. They have this fantasy in their head that like, oh, we're going to choose to be great at this and then we'll just be average at everything else. But this is where we'll be great. And what they said, which I think is very true is no, it doesn't work that way. You have a finite amount of energy. If you're going to be great at something, you have to choose to be bad at something else. Mm -hmm. And the strength is in understanding what to be bad at. Mm -hmm. So we, we do have to really plow down and make the choices. And so that inspired me a lot as I was thinking about us as individuals in our own careers, what are we going to choose to be bad at? You know, we have so many things clogging our, our inboxes and we, we get our attention grabbed and waylaid and uh, we need to become a little more ruthless about prioritizing. 
Yeah. And so I think that, you know, as this correlates for me and, and obviously what you said in the book about the idea of jam packing our calendars, saying yes to everything, right? It's not just saying yes to, we're going to offer all of these different services, although that's clearly part of this as well, but it's even on that kind of more micro level on the day-to-day level where we just cram and cram, say yes, say yes. And there is really very little filter. Part of me thinks that it comes from a trauma response of people pleasing and not wanting to hurt someone's feelings. And maybe your argument in the book is that, you know, saying yes to everything, maybe there's an element of like, fear of missing out or fear of, you know, losing some opportunity, but there's gotta be a checklist. There's gotta be a filter, right? Sure. I mean, ultimately it's, it's all of those things, right? I mean, nobody wants to be a bad guy. Nobody wants to miss out on anything. You don't want to leave money on the table. Uh, You know, there's, there's a million reasons why we might justify saying yes, but ultimately what I've come to discover, I mean, part of what is so powerful to me, honestly, when I think about strategy and just the concept of strategic planning, I mean, it might sound kind of like nerdy or arcane, but ultimately it strikes me as really almost a a modern, a modern place where we actually have the ability to show courage Mm. because it is about, it is about making decisions and cutting off options, just saying, no, this is the plan. This is the way that we're going to do this. This is the hypothesis. I am going to test it. And, you know, we all know ultimately that, you know, not deciding is a form of decision, but frankly, it's a weak form of decision. It's just like, oh, well, let's see what happens. There is strength in making a call and being willing to accept the consequences of that call. And I admire that in people. Right, right. It's interesting because as you're saying that, I'm thinking about one of the practices that I have, and I've talked about this on the show before, is I have these five post-it notes that I try to write one thing on each day, and each post-it note stack has a different question on it. And one of the questions is, what did I say no to? And I would need to write something on that every single day. And the other day I was asked to be on a board, like a a local nonprofit board. And this is the second year that I've been asked. And I was like, you know what, at this point, it's not about timing. It's just not a good fit. And the response that I got back was, we're so disappointed, you know, and I was like, that's not about me. Like, this is a very clear choice. I feel good about it. And it is courageous. And I like that you use that word. It's courageous because it, it does take courage and strength to say, this is this might be a great opportunity for someone else. Right? Or it might have been a great opportunity for you five, five years, years ago, ago sure, but sure. not now. Right. And I, I think sometimes there is a, a lag in how we think of ourselves or how we understand ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we're kind of drawn back to like, oh, but this this would have been so good. I wanted this so much. Right. But you know, now we're in a different place and we have to recognize that we're in a different place. Right, right. So there's another concept that I love in the book and you, you call it thinking in waves. Um, it's kind of this four-part learning, creating, connecting, and reaping. So let's dive into that a little bit as a framework because I think it's actually pretty hard, hard to argue against like its philosophy at the core. So I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> yes, definitely. So ultimately, you know, kind of kind of similar to what we were talking about before, you know, the the fact that we can't do all the things. This is in in some ways a kind of refinement of that, which is that we of the things we're choosing to do, we have to also recognize 
we can't do all the facets at one time. We have to understand that there are phases. I, I call it, think of them or call them waves where we're in a different place in the cycle of whatever it is that we're doing. And it becomes really helpful, I think, because for a lot of people, there's a tendency to beat ourselves up that we're not doing more things, that we're not doing them faster, that it's not happening faster. But, you know, the, the truth is like, you know, you can't, you can't, t- you know, plant a tree and then just be so mad. Like, well, why, why didn't it grow a foot? It's like, you know what? It will grow a foot. Just like you have to wait a little bit. Right. And similarly, uh, for all of us, there's really kind of four stages that that we're in, in almost any skill that we're learning, in almost any business that we're cultivating. And they are, as I identify them, learning, creating, connecting, and reaping. And briefly, I mean, the learning phase in some ways is kind of self-evident, which is that before you start doing your own thing, it is really useful to kind of know what sphere you're operating in. You know, how does this work? Who are the people? How do they fit together? What's the culture here? What have other people done before? These are really important things for you to know before you start mucking around. Um, But then once you do, and this is a transition that, that many people actually fail to make, you need to start creating yourself. You need to start raising your hand and sharing your ideas, contributing in some capacity, whether it's, you know, writing articles or just speaking up, you know, oh, well, what about this? What about that? It's very easy for a lot of people to just continue to be the wallflower that takes it all in, but you're not adding much value at that point. Um, So you start creating, adding your own je ne sais quoi to the mix And then at a certain point, you get to connecting because no matter what you're doing, if you're, if you're the only one speaking up, if you're the only one that knows what your ideas are, they're inherently not going to travel very far. It's not going to be very useful. You need to amplify that. And you can do that by building your network, getting even more and better ideas by connecting with other folks. And then finally, once, once the wheels are turning on all this, you get to reaping mode, which is, you know, the great part where, uh, you're, you're feeling successful. You're making a contribution. You're making a difference. But this is also a potential trap as well that we have to be mindful of because sometimes people just get into reaping mode and they're like, well, this is great. I'll just stay here. But if you do that too long, you eventually wear out your welcome. The world changes, the industry changes. And all of a sudden it's like, no, sorry, we don't want you in your blast faxes anymore. And it can become very disrupted and disruptive. So we need to be thoughtful about how to move into the new wave. We go back in to learning so we don't become obsolete. So it's, it's uh, cyclic essentially. Yes, exactly. Did you know that one out of five people in the U.S. is living with some form of disability? I'm proud to partner with Accessivity as they work toward the mission of making the web accessible to everyone. It's time to prioritize inclusivity. Ensure that your own website and your client sites can be accessed by all and that they're ADA compliant. Head over to accessibility.com forward slash thrive to learn more about their agency partner program. Now, back to the show. I love that. And I think it's true that some people can go through the first three waves, they get to reaping, and then they become like that guy in the networking event who's just like not 
not connecting with anyone on a personal level, handing out the business cards, saying the spiel, and then looking at the room as like, what's in it for me, as opposed to how can I add value here? Um, yeah, nobody wants to be that guy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay. No, that makes sense. I, I like it. And so I would imagine also, like, as you're in this process of thinking in waves and maybe, you know, you're going from learning, you're transitioning into creating and connecting. I think maybe between, and and you can say if this is true or not, between connecting and reaping, is there, could there be a moment or months or years where you're like, it's not happening fast enough, right? Like I should be somewhere else at this point. Like what, what about that point? I mean, I know that it's kind of, it fits in between that transition, but is that where what you call strategic patience kind of sits in into the chronology? Well, the, the main thing, Kelly, is it never happens fast enough. Well, right, 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 right. <laughs> I mean, like literally all of us at every stage. I mean, I... I, in, in part, I was inspired to write the long game because I work with so many clients where almost all of our sessions would basically start with them just venting and being so frustrated because, but I did this and I did this and I did this. And then, you know, like, you know, and then Ted, Ted isn't calling yet. Right. And it's like, okay, I get it. I totally get it. And it, it just is this process where we unfortunately typically have to keep plowing the fields far longer than we thought or wanted or expected. So that that is a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. But yes, you're exactly right. In the long game, I talk about a concept called strategic patience, which is basically, it's sort of my version. It's my way of, of helping to make peace with this for myself, for my clients, because so often, you know, I, I decided to come up with my own name for it because regular patients, I think it it often has the connotation, which I don't love, of passivity, right? Like I, I remember like as a kid, you know, whenever I sort of wanted to do something or whatever, my mom would be like, just be patient. And, you know, basically that's kind of code for like, please shut up. Please stop asking about this. And it's so frustrating. Like nobody wants to, you know, be told that. Uh, we we want to be forward moving. Right. And so strategic patience is kind of my my way of navigating this, because the truth is, I mean, there's certain things you just can't speed up. Like there's only so much control we have in the universe. So yes, we do kind of have to be patient, but it also doesn't mean that we just have to sit back and do nothing and kind of wish and hope because that's, that's not good either. You want to have a kind of active patience, uh, you know, a strategic patience where you're, you're trying things, you're testing things. You have a hypothesis you say, okay, well, I think this might work. I think this might show some progress. Let's see. Let's investigate. Yeah. And you're at least doing something positive to move toward your goals yeah. rather than just sitting back and you know creating your vision board or whatever. I'm, I'm curious, how, how do you think about this in, in your own life, Kelly? Well, it's interesting because the way that, so after I sold my agency in 2016, you know, I was like, well, we were working with nonprofits and foundations and corporate social responsibility initiatives and things like that. So I thought, oh, well, naturally, I'll just go and be like a nonprofit consultant from a marketing perspective. And that, I think, was not getting so much traction 
probably mostly because I wasn't really wanting to do that. It was just the thing that naturally felt like, well, this is the thing I should be doing because this is my expertise. Right. And then when I felt like, and, and, you know, I had the opportunity to work on some great projects, one for NASA. So it's not like it didn't work. It just, my heart wasn't in it. And then I thought about, you know, probably what you're talking about, cutting out everything else and looking at, well, what are the things that I'm really passionate about? Like essentially developing, um, using myself as a, as a client or a, a test case for really strong positioning. And so when I started with messaging and understanding what fellow agency owners wanted and needed and were looking for and what their challenges and pain points were, I would start putting, creating, right? So creating content from the place of like, I've been in your shoes, here's how I could potentially help. And I think it took a little while for that content to catch on. And then it took me a little bit longer to start talking differently than some of the other agency growth consultants out there who were just about scalability, profitability, bottom line. I was like, no, it's actually about the people. Why is no one talking about that? So yeah, but it took a while for that that flywheel of content to catch on. And so strategic patients definitely came in at that point. And now, you know, I'm I'm definitely in that that whole circle or cycle that you're talking about. Oh, that's great. That's such a good example. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So for viewers and listeners who are kind of like, okay, well, I get the the idea of strategic patience. I really like that it's active. I also would imagine there are some questions that they might be able to ask themselves um, just to kind of take that away and maybe implement that pretty immediately. What are some of those questions? Yeah. Well, I think one useful thing to keep in mind, first and foremost, is we often, I think this is a, a human tendency and I see it in a lot of my clients, we often are so afraid that we are going to be the sucker, that we're going to be the laughing stock mm. that is holding on too tightly to a thing that's not working, yeah. that we tend to veer to the opposite extreme. And instead, we give up too quickly on a thing that actually might work and might have potential, but we have not given it, it enough room to, to run and, and enough room to actually develop into what it could. And so- you know, I, I certainly understand, you know, no one, no one wants to be, you know, victim to the sunk cost fallacy or what have you, but it, it, the tendency really is for people so often the opposite. And so I think what is useful to keep in mind is a few things. The first is to the extent possible at the outset, it's really useful to develop hypotheses mm-hmm. about what are the metrics of growth that we should be looking at, because presumably it's going to take a while for something to reach full fruition, but there may be certain signs that we can be looking for. So, okay, maybe we don't have signed contracts yet, but maybe, you know, we're, we're tracking the number of leads. We're tracking the number of click throughs. We're tracking the number of calls and meetings we've had or, you know, whatever, but what are these intermediate metrics and are we showing, you know, signs of, of positive growth there? Uh, I think another thing that's really important. And I talk about this in the long game is, doing sufficient research so that we actually have a a sense of what's realistic. Now, you know, it's not impossible that your results will be wildly different than other people's. They they might be, but 
more likely, statistically, it will probably be in line with what other people have done. And so if something has taken somebody 10 years to build, you're probably not going to build it in a year. You might build it in eight years or something like that, but but you know we just have to scope it out. And it's actually crazy to me the extent to which we often are flying blind and don't even realize we are. There's a story that Jeff Bezos tells in a 2018 Amazon shareholder letter where he talks about some friend of his who hired a handstand coach for yoga. And, and the handstand coach tells a story and says that that the average person, if you ask them, hey, how long do you think it'll take to do a, a yoga handstand? They think it takes about two weeks of practice. It actually takes six months of practice. And so, you know, this is not like being off by 10 or 20%. This is being right. off by 12x. Right. And so often we are making those mistakes ourselves. So doing the research up front and then tracking those intermediate metrics, I think can be incredibly helpful and, and prevent a lot of heartache. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, handstand coach. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I hired a musical theater coach, so I, I feel like there's a coach for everything. There is a coach for everything. I have a shadow work coach. I have a Buddhist psychology coach. I've hired a stylist coach at some point. To Wait, take did you see a shadow coach? Is this like some Jungian thing? Yeah. Shadow work. Wow. We'll talk dude. about that another time. That's a whole nother show, Dory. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. So yeah. So, you know, just finding that, that support, you know, that you're looking for, or maybe that you're not looking for, that could be kind of unexpected. I mean, it's why people hire, you know, all different types of coaches and things like that. But I want to actually kind of wrap up the conversation talking a little bit about what I think is really important and what I really appreciated about how you ended the long game, which was this kind of overarching idea of celebrating the wins and you call it savoring the success, which is, which is just as nice. Um, And you told a little bit of a personal story about being invited back to the college where you did your freshman and sophomore year undergrad. Um, can you kind of reshare that story for the audience? Just because I think it's it's a good corollary for how we might look at some of the ways in which success takes a long time and celebrating that is super important. Yeah, thank you. So what you're alluding to is in the long game, I, I shared a story about how kind of unexpectedly, I got an email uh, back in early 2019 from my alma mater, Mary Baldwin University in Virginia. I did my first two years at Mary Baldwin as part of a kind of early college entrance program that they had. And I had not been particularly active at all in terms of alumni things. I really didn't even think they knew who I was or that I was on their radar, but they reached out and asked me if I would be willing to be their commencement speaker for that year, which was uh, really exciting and kind of, uh, you know, an honor, of course, but it was, it was especially satisfying because I think for anybody, if you, if you're able to find a way to kind of come full circle in your own life, it has a lot more meaning. It would be nice if any college invited me to be a commencement speaker. Like that's a, that's a great thing in general, but when it has that kind of personal salience, it uh, it means a lot more, and it's kind of that that personal sign of of success. And I think that for me, what I take from it is a few things. I mean, one is that success really does look different for all of us, and we need to get clear about what we want, what 
what is special for us as compared to the so-called, you know, societal version of success. You know, some people are super into boating and they want to spend their money on boats and some people want a vacation home or whatever. You know, these are these are great things, but it's not one size fits all. For me, taking the time to be able to speak at this school, you know, which, you know, it's this little school in this little town, but it was extremely meaningful to me because of my personal connection there. And, uh, and just the sort of the message in my own life of like, oh, wow. Okay. Now we're coming full circle. I, I have made enough progress that I am, you know, essentially doing my teenage self proud, which, which is kind of a, a nice thing for, for any of us to be able to do. But it is very true that as we think about the long game, I think a mistake, a sort of systematic mistake that many of us make is on one hand, of course, there's the mistake of just not devoting enough time to strategic or long-term thinking in general, because we're so overwhelmed. We're so busy with a day-to-day, which is kind of what we were talking about earlier about the need to create more white space. But there's there's a second mistake, which is for the people who do do the long-term thinking, their thinking is so long-term that they're, you know, they create the narrative of like, well, I'll be happy when, and it's, it's always like this sort of super final state. I'll be happy when I have the Lamborghini or I'll be happy when I get to be the keynote speaker at South by Southwest or, or whatever. And I mean, these are like super long-term goals. It's like, okay, if you're going to like hold off on your happiness for 25 years, that's really a long time. You know, like it doesn't, you don't have to wait until you're the keynote speaker getting, getting to be a workshop presenter. You should celebrate that. Frankly, getting your email returned by the conference organizer, yeah, celebrate that because that doesn't always happen either. Okay. So it's understanding that there are milestones and that we can and we should be tracking them. And at every point along the way, we can say, you know what? Good job. Because you know what? The me of five years ago would have been happy even for that. Yeah. Die right? But uh, but now it keeps getting better and better. And we if we can appreciate that and recognize that, I think it leads to a lot more overall life satisfaction. 100%. I agree with that. And I think it also leads to, or is a reflection of how present we are, right? Because if you're always thinking about, well, that's fine. Like, great that that happened. Let me kind of shove that to the side. And what's the next thing? Clearly you're not, you know, maintaining that presence, which is so important for satisfaction and purpose and fulfillment and all of those things. So Great point to end on. Um, everybody go pick up a copy of this book, The Long Game. You will thank me. You will love it. Dory, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate you. Great to speak with you, Kelly. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you watch or listen. And a final note of gratitude to the official sponsor of Thrive, Accessibility the leading web accessibility solutions provider. Learn more about the win-win proposition and keep your clients' websites inclusive and compliant. Be sure to check out their partner program for your agency today at accessibility.com forward slash thrive.